Hello, my lovelies, and welcome back to Bedtime Stories with Celosia Crane. Have you returned to find out what Jack's going to get up to next? Last week, I read you the first half of Jack the Giant Killer, an English folktale, and today we're going to read the second half of it. So, without further ado, let's jump right back in. We left Jack at the end of part one, having just become a knight of the round table. And now, while Jack spent a fortnight as a knight among knights at King Arthur's court, he saw there a maiden lovelier than he had ever seen before. She was the daughter of a duke, and Jack wished with all his heart that he could have her for his wife. But before he could speak out his love, a terrible thing occurred. One night there appeared in the sky above the duke's castle a flaming chariot drawn by fiery dragons. And the next morning, the lovely daughter of the duke was nowhere to be found. So everyone knew that some evil creature, having the powers of enchantment, had carried her off in that flaming chariot. Grieving greatly, Jack set off to find her at once. Soon he came to a cave, near the entrance to which a huge giant was sitting with a big knotted club by his side. The giant's goggle eyes flamed with fire. His countenance was ugly. The bristles of his beard resembled heavy iron wires, and the locks that hung down on his brawny shoulders were like curling snakes or hissing adders. Alighting from his horse, Jack put on the coat of invisibility, went up close to the giant, and said, Oh, is it you here? Well, it won't be long before I take you fast by that pretty beard of yours. Not being able to see Jack because of his coat, the giant began to swat about with one huge paw as though he thought buzzing flies were trying to bother him. Then Jack drew his sword and struck a blow at the monster's head. But missing him, he cut off the giant's nose instead of his head. At that, the giant roared like thunder, seized his huge club, and began to lay about him like one stark mad. But Jack, running behind him, drove his sword up to the hilt in the giant's back. So he fell down dead. This done, Jack cut off the giant's head, and finding a wagoner, hired the man to carry the head with his compliments to King Arthur. Then, taking the giant's keys, he went into the cave to see if perchance the duke's daughter was hidden there for he meant to overlook no place where she might possibly be imprisoned. Through many windings and turnings in the cave he walked, and he saw piled up in one chamber much gold and many treasures, but nowhere was there a single sign of the duke's daughter, his beloved. Finally, he came to a very large room where a cauldron was boiling over a fire, and against one wall of the room stood the enormous table at which the giant had been accustomed to eat. Just beyond this, the great cave came to an end with a chamber that had a barred window, and through the window Jack beheld a vast number of miserable captives, 
who, seeing him, cried out, Alas, young man, art thou come to be one amongst us in this terrible den? For we are those whom the giant fattens here for his feasts. Each day he takes from among us the fattest, whom he slays and cooks in his cauldron. Well, the giant will have no more of you in his cauldron, Jack answered, for this day I have slain him. Then he unlocked the door and let the rejoicing captives out. But they were all men. The duke's daughter was not among them. So Jack divided the treasure of the cave equally among all present, including himself. Then he went on his way. That evening he came to a castle where he sought lodging for the night, and the owner proved to be a very pleasant knight. He took Jack in gladly and invited him to eat at a table where many other knights and ladies were feasting. Sitting down with the guests, Jack asked first of all if any of them knew aught of the whereabouts of the duke's daughter. But none of them could tell him anything about her. The next morning he was just about to set out again on his journey, with the knight and his guests all at the gate to bid him Godspeed when a frightened messenger came dashing up on horseback. "'Sir!' he cried to Jack. "'Thunderdell, a terrible giant with two heads, "'has heard how you killed his kinsman at the cave, "'and he's coming from the northern dales to take vengeance on you. "'He's within a mile of the castle, "'with the country people flying like chaff before him. "'Well, let him come.' cried Jack, deciding at once to delay his departure. Aye, let him come, for I have tools to pick his teeth. Ladies and gentlemen, he turned to the other guests. If you'll go to the walls of the castle, you'll witness Thunderdell's death and destruction. Now, the castle was situated on a small island that was surrounded by a moat thirty feet deep and twenty feet wide and the waters of the moat were spanned by a drawbridge. So Jack employed men to take saws and cut through this bridge on both sides nearly up to the middle, making their cuttings show as little as possible, and leaving intact only so much of the bridge as would bear the weight of a man his size. Furthermore, he ordered that six horses should be harnessed together and held ready for his bidding. Then, donning his coat of invisibility, he crossed the bridge while the knights and ladies lined up on the wall above. Soon the giant appeared. Though he could not see Jack, he could smell him, and he cried out fiercely, Fee-fi-fo-fum, I smell the blood of an Englishman. Be he alive or be he dead, I'll grind his bones to make my bread. Sayest thou so? said Jack. If thou canst grind my bones to flour, thou'lt prove thyself to be a more able miller than I think thee. At that the giant cried out again, I'll tear thee with my teeth, I'll suck thy blood, and no matter what thou sayest, I'll grind thy bones to powder. But first thou must catch me, quoth Jack, and throwing off his coat of invisibility so Thunderdell might see him, he ran from the giant, who followed him as heavily as though he had been a walking castle. For a long time, Jack, 
who was wearing his shoes of swiftness, led the giant a merry chase. Slipping out from under his very hand or out of the reach of his club, just as Thunderdell thought he had him. Meantime, the knights and ladies on the castle wall laughed heartily at the sport. At last, to end the matter, Jack ran lightly over the drawbridge, with Thunderdell pursuing him at full speed. But when the giant reached the middle of the bridge, his enormous weight broke it down. Headlong he tumbled into the water, where he rolled and wallowed like a huge whale. Quickly Jack flung two ropes over the giant's two heads. Then he fastened the other ends to the six horses which were waiting and had them haul him ashore. And when Thunderdell was on the bank, Jack cut off his two heads and ordered that they should be sent to King Arthur. After that, he went on his way in further search of his beloved. By and by, he came to a lonesome house and knocked at the door, which was opened by an old man with hair as white as snow. "'Father,' said Jack, "'can you lodge a benighted traveler?' "'Aye,' the old man answered. "'Thou art right welcome to my poor cottage.' And he took Jack into the house where the two sat down together. Then the old man said, "'Son, I see by thy belt that thou art the famous and mighty conqueror of giants. And behold, at the top of this mountain lives Galagantua, the most terrible of all giants, and by the help of a conjurer this Galagantua has tricked many knights and ladies into his castle.' Thereby, magic art, they are transformed into birds or beasts. Poor things, I grieve for every one of them. But above all, I grieve for a certain lovely young duke's daughter. Now, when Jack heard these words, a certain lovely young duke's daughter, his ears pricked up. They fetched her from her father's garden in a fiery chariot, the old man went on. And up there in the castle, they changed her into a little white doe. Oh, my son, would that thou could save her. But brave though thou art, I doubt if even thou couldst get into that castle, for its gates are guarded by two fire-breathing griffins, which destroy everyone who comes near. Speak on, Jack cried, I will surely save this maid. Then the old man said, Well, son, shouldst thou be able to get past those griffins, thou'll find engraved in large letters on the gates of the castle how the spell may be broken. So Jack thanked the old man heartily, and early on the following morning he put on his coat of invisibility, his magic cap and shoes, and started out on his way. As soon as he reached the top of the mountain, he saw the two fiery griffins but he passed them safely, because he was invisible. And when he had got beyond them, he found on the gates of the castle a golden trumpet hanging by a silver chain, under which these lines were engraved. Whoever shall this trumpet blow shall soon the giant overthrow and break the black enchantment straight, so all shall be in happy state. At once Jack took the trumpet and blew it, and at the terrible blast he blew, the gate swung open and the whole castle shivered, as though an earthquake had struck it. 
Then Jack passed through the gates into the courtyard, where he saw all manner of birds and beasts, they being the knights and ladies who had been enchanted by the wicked conjurer. And among them, trembling with fright, was a lovely little white doe, whom Jack knew to be the duke's daughter, his beloved. There, too, were the giant and the conjurer, biting their nails and tearing their hair, for they knew their wicked reign was over. Wishing to meet, face to face, this giant who had stolen his beloved, Jack threw off his coat of invisibility. Then the giant, seeing him, seized his club and rushed on him. But Jack raised his sword, and at one blow he cut off Galagantua's head. Thereupon the conjurer, seeing that he had lost his powerful protector, gave an awful scream, mounted up into the air, and was carried away by a whirlwind. And no sooner had the conjurer disappeared than all his wicked enchantments were broken. The castle vanished in a cloud of smoke, all the birds and beasts became knights and ladies, and the lovely little white doe became once again Jack's beloved, the beautiful daughter of the duke. Gladly she gave Jack a kiss, and with the whole party rejoicing they set out for King Arthur's court. When they reached there the king was so overjoyed at all Jack had accomplished that he heaped the highest honors on him, and the duke gave Jack his daughter in marriage. All the knights of the round table came to dance at his wedding, and Jack and his lady lived happily all the rest of their days. And that, my lovelies, is the end of the tale of Jack the Giant Killer. I hope you enjoyed this tale, and we'll come back next week for our next English folktale. Bedtime Stories with Celosia Crane is proudly produced by Lantern Audio Works. Check us out at lanternaudioworks.com for some fun merchandise to support your favorite podcasts. There you can find merchandise for the podcast I co-host with N.J. Sullivan, Punks in the Library, as well as N.J. Sullivan's storytelling podcast, Old Bob, a humorous sci-fi series, and Brimstone, which is a detective urban fantasy noir, and, of course, Bedtime Stories with Celosia Crane. Again, the address for that is lanternaudioworks.com. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to connect with me further, you can find me on Instagram at celosiacrane underscore author. Link is in the show notes.